I would love to speak to you this morning about the power of perspective, the power of perspective. And we're going to look at a passage in the Bible in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 22. This is on page 1122 of the Blue Bibles, which will be in the seats around you, but will also come on the screens. And Paul and Silas have gone to Philippi to tell people about Jesus. They've seen some remarkable things happen. People come to faith and their lives transformed, but then they start to face opposition. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So my talk's called The Power of Perspective. And one of the most important things about you is the perspective you bring to life. The way you view your circumstances, the way you understand your identity, your purpose. It changes how you respond to challenges. Will you respond to difficult times with worry and despair or with worship and prayer? And I'm convinced we can't be all we're called to be. We can't do all we're called to do without living lives which are shaped, inspired and empowered by persistent prayer and passionate praise. And that's true for us as a church. If we want to see this city transformed and we're going to see today in this passage how a shift in our perspective might even propel us to pray and to worship and can even change the course of our lives. So the first thing we see is that your perspective matters more than your circumstances. Your perspective matters more than your circumstances. You know, life can feel like a roller coaster at times. You're up, you're down, you're spun around. It can be exciting, it can be terrifying. And if your perspective is shaped by your circumstances, it's easy to miss the significance of what's going on and end up confused. Robert Cummings, um, an art critic, was going through the National Gallery and he came across a painting by Filippino Lippi. And he was a master of his day. And as he looked at this painting at the National Gallery just here in London, uh, which showed uh, Mary holding Jesus on her lap, two saints um, praying by the side of them. As he looked at that painting, uh, there was some skill involved in the colours and other things, but something about the painting was odd. It didn't really feel like it had the right perspective. The bits didn't seem to fit together in the right way. The dimensions were all wrong. The proportions were all wrong. 
And he realized it wasn't actually a great painting. And actually, a number of critics over the generations had come to the same conclusion by this, about this painting by Lippi. And at that moment, he suddenly had a revelation. He realized it might be his perspective which was wrong. You see, Lippi had never intended his painting to be hung in a gallery in the center of London. He had intended it to be hung in a place of worship, in a church. And at that moment, Robert Cummings just dropped his knees in the middle of the National Gallery. The picture came alive in a whole new way. And he realized the beauty and power of the picture that Lippi had painted. The right perspective, the true perspective, was one of worship. And it's interesting because in this passage, Paul and Silas could have got very confused. They'd done what God had called them to do. They'd gone to Philippi. They'd told people about Jesus, who he is. He's the son of God, that he died for their sins. That he was raised to life so that they might know new life. He'd seen, they'd seen that impact people's lives. People were set free. People's lives were transformed. But then what happened was they faced opposition. They were attacked. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were severely flogged. And they were put in prison. And it would be easy to be confused, to say, well, I don't understand it. And you might have felt like that. You did the right thing, but it turned out wrong. You spoke up for someone, a friend or someone in a boardroom, and you took a huge amount of flack for it. You invited a friend maybe to Alpha, and it didn't work out the way you'd hoped. You tried to help someone, and they threw it back in your face. When those things happen, you have a choice. You can let your circumstances shape how you see your relationship with Jesus or you can let your relationship with Jesus shape how you see your circumstances. You know, they could say, oh, God must not care. We must have got it wrong. He wasn't that interested in us anyway. He's let us down. We're disappointed. Or they could say, well, a life following Jesus, as he promised, involves both battle and blessing, sometimes at the same time. And God is good and God is Lord. And if God can use a cross and a grave to save, he can use a prison for his mission. We know Jesus. We know he hears us. And that changes things. So your circumstances will either constrain your worship or they will compel you to worship. Perspective is the thing that makes a difference. You can say, well, life's hard. I've got a difficult boss. My relationships are tough. I'm done with it all. And you can say, yes, I'm in a battle. I feel bruised, but I'm not going to miss this chance to give you praise. Do you know the most likely reason they were awake at midnight was because of the pain of their beating, the discomfort that they were in chains, their feet were chained. And they could say, oh, you know, my back hurts from the beating. They hit me so hard, I can't sleep and my legs are enchained. There's no way I could worship. Or they could say, you shouldn't have hit me so hard because now I can't sleep. And as long as I can't sleep, I'm going to sing some songs. I don't care if it's midnight or not. My feet might be chained, but my hands are free. My back might be sore, but my mouth can sing. And as long as I'm here and you've put me here, you're going to hear some songs. So jailer, put some earplugs in because I'm about to bust out some tunes. (laughs) See, if you... If you have the right perspective, even your pain can propel you to praise. That's the power of perspective. But it's hard sometimes, isn't it? I remember when I was 19, 
I was living in a, a beautiful town called Luton, and, uh, and we took a youth group, um, I don't know, 50 or so uh, young guys and girls away to uh, a Christian summer camp, a festival, thousands of people in Somerset. Now, some of the guys we were taking were kind of on the fringes of criminality. They'd been expelled from schools. Uh, they, they certainly had never been camping before. And I know for sure they'd never been camping in the middle of 8,000 Christians before. And some of them were working out what they even felt about faith. And one of them was a guy called Jamie. And Jamie had that kind of mischievous air about him. He was a genius. I mean, he was like innovative, creative. You just needed to channel it in a slightly you know, different way maybe. But he, he, he arrived in this campsite and he's like, right, these people call themselves Christians. Let's test that to destruction. Uh, and so the first day he, he, he arranged with a few friends to to set up mock muggings. Uh, so he would, he would be walking down the road and two of his mates would come and pretend to mug him and steal his wallet. And then he said, I'll just see, are these Christians like weak Christians or are they like the good Samaritans that Jesus talks about? See if they're prepared to get involved when it gets a bit messy. And, um, and on another day, he was in the middle of a field and he suddenly got down on his hands and knees and started going like this. And a guy came up to me and said, you're right. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've just lost my contact lens. Can you help me find it? The guy was like, yeah, yeah, got down beside him. Jamie didn't wear contact lenses. And then another guy came. What are you two guys doing? Are we trying to find his contact lens? Okay, he got down his hands and knees. After a while, there were 50 people on their hands and knees performing a forensic search of a field for a contact lens which didn't exist. And at that point, Jamie kind of got up and just walked away. <laughs> they might still be there for all I know. If you could just channel it. During that week, Jamie encountered Jesus Christ, actually. Transformed his life. I, I will always remember, I will never forget Jamie worshipping. Hands in the air. Life wasn't always straightforward, but his passion in worship. The joy on his face. His thousand megawatt smile as he worshipped. And then uh, a few years later, I was at work. Uh, about nine o'clock in the morning. And I got a call. And the person on the end of the line said, Stephen, Jamie's died in really tragic circumstances. Can you come back to Luton? Can you come back for the funeral? And so I went back and they asked me to share something at the funeral to speak. And I didn't know what to speak. I didn't even know what to say to myself. I was in bits. And I stood at the front of this church. All our youth group were there. And they're kind of looking at you to make sense of it all. And I didn't know I knew how to make sense of it. And I just felt God gave me something to say, which I thought was quite hard to say, but I felt it was important to say. And I said, look, as, we, as we're here today on, on what might be the most difficult day of some of our lives, we've got a choice. Are we going to let this drive us away from God? Or are we going to come to Jesus with our questions and our hurt and our pain? That's the choice. Are we going to give up on worshipping God and praying? Or are we going to ask God to help us even more at this time? And you know, as you're saying it, you're kind of weeping. And as I came away, I thought, now the challenge is to live that. Is to live that. And you might have faced that. In fact, I know you have. I know people in this church, 
Even in the last year, you've, you've faced the loss of loved ones, husbands and wives. You've prayed that you might have children and they haven't arrived yet. You've lost jobs. You've faced real challenges. And yet you have come and you have prayed and you have worshipped. So moving to see. And I know others of you have had what you might... And lots of people would look at you and say, oh, you've had the most successful year of your life. But you know, in a funny way, success can be even harder to steward than suffering. Because suffering tends to drive you to God. But when we're successful, we tend to forget God. And yet you've come and you said, no, Lord, all this comes from you. And I want to honor you in this place, even as things seem to be going very well. That's what I find so powerful about this church. The way in joy and sadness and success and failure, you pray and you worship, you sing, you lift your hands. You don't just focus on the problems and the pain. You focus on who God is and his love for you, his provision for you. And you know, actually, one of the most important provisions God gives to us in the good times and the bad is spelt out in this passage. That if you noticed it. See, the authorities in Philippi made a big mistake when they arrested Paul and Silas. Huge. It's in verse 24. The jailer took them and put them in the inner cell. Huge mistake. Why? Put them in the inner cell. He put them in the same cell together. You see, the enemy will always try and fight you one-on-one, but Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. So you might be in a prison, you might be in a cell, but if you've got one other person with you, you've got church. One person can pray, the other person can say amen. One person can sing the melody, the other person can sing the harmony. One person can encourage the other when they're feeling a bit down, and then you can flip it around when the other person's feeling a bit down. There's something powerful about worshipping and praying with others. It shifts your perspective. You know, sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm on my own, it's just me, I'm you know, working so hard, and it's just tough. And it's... But then you're like a coal taken out of the fire. But when you come to church, it's like you're put back into the core of the fire again. That's why we worship and pray together on a Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock downstairs. That's why we have connect groups right across this city. Some of those powerful experiences of prayer and worship I've had have been in people's living rooms right across this city. It's why we gather together on Tuesday night, this Tuesday, two days time, here, over 600 people to worship and pray for this city and encourage each other. I find that when I worship, it reorientates my heart. Because what happens in the course of any normal week is that people and problems can start to loom big and God seems distant and small. And when I worship, it reorders my perspective and I remember the true perspective. I feel my burdens fall off. It unburdens my heart. And we're meant to do it together. That's one of the things I most love about coming to church is actually seeing people worship. It might have been a difficult week, but I look out and look around, and your passion ignites my passion. Your faith inspires my faith. Your wholehearted worship drives me on to worship. And do you know what's even more than that? As we do that together, heaven comes to earth. 
You're one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. The verse I really feel over us as a church is in Revelation 7-9. John looks at this heavenly um, scene and says, I saw a great multitude from which every... People from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, worshipping before the throne of God. And you know, we see that here, right now, that unity in diversity. Just look around. In terms of nationality, we have South Africans, Koreans, Chinese, Australians, Germans, Russians, Americans, Canadians, New Zealanders, Kenyans. Ghanaians. (laughs) Nigerians? And some British people too. They're a little bit more reserved. We have people from under one to over 90 and every age in between. We have... People of different occupations. We have cleaners and CEOs, doormen and doctors. We have ex-convicts and prominent judges. And we gather together in unity to worship in unity because we believe we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one church. What unites us is infinitely greater than what divides us. And as one body, we come together to worship Jesus and to lift his name high. And you know what? I want to let you into a secret. It's not just us when we come together. When you're on the tube, when you think, you know, I just need, I need some time, I need to worship. I, I put in my headphones. You know, when you do that, you might think you're on your own on the district line. You know, rumble, 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 you know. You know oh, engineering works. Rumble, rumble, rumble. You know, someone's armpit is in my face. Rumble. It's too early for this. Rumble, rumble. When you worship in your heart, when you worship in your mind, when you even with your headphones in on the tube, you don't do it on your own. You join with millions upon millions of angels who right now are singing holy, holy, holy before the throne of God. You join with a great cloud of witnesses. You know, I believe I join with Jamie when I worship. We get, join with a whole host of people who have gone before us when we worship. The truth is, you never worship Jesus on your own. The second you open your mouth, a whole chorus of angels joins with you. And do you know what more? When you pray, you don't pray alone. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I pray on my own. You know, maybe it's difficult at work. You just take a moment, just while no one's looking behind your computer screen. Help. Uh, Maybe it's between five and seven. You know, your toddlers are doing somersaults on the table, and you're like, "How, how did my life become this? You know, you don't pray on your own. We're told that Jesus ever lives and intercedes for us. The second you pray, who do you join with? Jesus Christ himself, who right now is before the throne of God, praying for you. And when you realize that, it shifts your perspective. Your perspective is greater than your circumstances. But also your perspective can change your circumstance. Your perspective changes your circumstances. You know, it's interesting here, Paul and Silas are there at midnight and they're singing hymns and they're praying in the middle of the prison where all the prisoners can hear them. Prisons can be dark places. And there are some really dangerous people who are in prison. But what's fascinating is the other prisoners aren't shouting them down, aren't screaming at them, they're listening to them. They're captivated by what's going on. They are changing the atmosphere in the prison by their worship and their prayers. 
And they're also changing the course of events. You know, history belongs to the intercessors. I wonder if, like me, you've ever thought, if I could just have £10 million, God, I could do a lot of good in this city. Yeah, so all it, maybe a hundred, if you hundred, if that could be arranged. You know, I'm sure I could do a huge amount in this city if I just had influence in that area or that area. We could really change things in this city, God. Do you know you have access to the Lord of all? You have a direct phone line to the CEO of the universe. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. It's been said God does nothing without prayer and everything with it. If you want to see a breakthrough in your family, in your friendships, in your community, in your city, there is no more powerful way to start than in prayer and worship. God loves to work his purposes out through people who love to pray and worship. You know, as Paul and Silas worship, there's an earthquake. Now, how do you feel about this this morning? You feeling faith-filled or sceptical? Were there a lot of earthquakes in that region at that time? What's the tectonic plates doing around Philippi? Do you feel coincidence or do you feel God's providence? Well, let's look at it. I mean, the earthquake happened at exactly the time they were worshipping. It happened at exactly the place they were worshipping. And it had a particular impact. It's a very specific type of earthquake, this earthquake, because it shakes the foundations of the prison. But the only thing it blows off are the doors of the prison. And the only thing it breaks are the chains of the prisoners. Coincidence or God's providence? See, when God moves, when God responds, it might be a bit unsettling. It might disturb the ground, but he knows how to give you just what you need. And we all face prisons. Fear can be a prison. Shame can be a prison. Pride can be a prison. But worship changes things. When I was, I remember once when I was working, I was doing quite a, a difficult case. And I, I just felt the pressure grow and grow and grow. And for the first time in my life, I found myself kind of waking up at 3 a.m. And the only solution I found was in the morning to kickstart my day with worship. So I'd be there on the central line, headphones in busting out the worship. At lunchtime, I found a church near my workplace where I could go and they would just have like half an hour worship. So I'd go there, hands in the air, worship, 20 minutes. And as I did that, I felt the burdens fall off me. I felt this kind of prison of fear and pride that was building up around me break down. You see, sometimes when you take a praise break, it leads to a prison break. And that's what we see happen here. The doors open, the chains fall off. The jailer is sure they've all escaped. He's about to kill himself, but Paul says, we're all here. Now, this doesn't happen very often. I I worked as a criminal defense barrister, um, representing people in the criminal courts for about eight years. I represented over the years maybe hundreds, maybe over a thousand people accused of crimes. It's great to see so many of you here today. And... (laughs) I represented people who had escaped from prison. I represented people who were trying to escape from prison. I represented one person who escaped from prison in the course of me representing him. I never represented anyone who was given the opportunity to leave prison but said, actually, on second thoughts, I'd prefer to stay. I quite like HMP Wandsworth. It's nice. 
just want to hang around for a bit. What's going on? They're so captivated. They're so fascinated by what's happening in that place. They've heard the worship. They've heard the prayers. They've seen the dignity with which Paul and Silas have dealt with their suffering. They say, I'm not leaving yet. I want to see what happens next. I'm sticking around. We heard you pray. We saw God respond. What's next? And the jailer comes along and he's been impacted by it as well. He's seen all the same things and all he says is this. What can I do to be saved? One of the greatest questions you can ever ask in your life. And one of the greatest witnesses to the world is how we worship, the way in which we worship. And Paul says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole family. And he does, and he is. And not only that, it seems like he brings his whole family to be baptized. We had a whole family be baptized just now. He brings his whole family to the prison so that they can all be baptized together. A place that was intended to keep people captive, God uses to set people free. That is what happens. The very opposition, which looked as though it might stop God's work, actually serves to multiply it. And you might think, well, you know, my circumstances constrain me in some way. You don't know what my industry is like. You don't know what my career is like, my role, my difficult boss, my colleagues. You don't know how complex it is being Christian in my family. You don't know how, how it is where I am. You don't know the constraints that I face in my circumstances. This family who were baptized in a prison, became the core, it seems, of the new, the very first church in Philippi. Paul wrote the letter Philippians to them. And if God can use people in prison to plant a church, he can use your constraints to change this city. To call people here to encounter Jesus, to change the culture in workplaces, to raise up a generation who longs to honor the name of Jesus. And as we worship, as we pray, doors will be blown open. Chains will fall off. People will be set free. People will be saved. Whole families will be baptized. We will start to see things as they really Ah, in their true perspective that the name of Jesus will be honoured in our church, in our city and right across this nation. So let's stand now together.